everyone, welcome to the OFD Podcast. I am your host, Site Manager Joshua Voles, over at OneFootDown.com on the SB Nation Network. And with me tonight, two gentlemen that uh, that handed out Christmas presents with me on Christmas Eve uh, for your podcast pleasure. And that's Jude Seymour and Brendan McElinden. Fellas, what's up? Hey, I can't wait to talk yeah. about uh, Tammy Agoro entering the transfer know. portal for the next hour. That's what we're here for, right? I thought this was a uh, happy Honda Days appreciation podcast. Uh, I was lied to. As a proud <laughs> Honda owner and one of a couple of people on this site who did a lot of, who did a lot of talking about uh, Mr. Agoro. I'm good with them. I'm good with them. <laughs> 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 I, I kind of I kind of like was trying to figure out what why I was getting so mad when people were like, never heard of him, never heard of him. I'm like, really? Because he was actually the person I think everyone wrote about the most in the spring. <laughs> yeah, he was competing. So, yeah. know, whatever. So, like, were you not paying attention to any, not just our coverage, I'm talking about everywhere. Right. Uh, he was fighting for a starting job in the spring, which I guess, you know, was nothing once in a while. <laughs> well, it pretty, me if I'm wrong, but this last spring had, had proved out to be totally uh not worth a damn thing you know what i mean yeah it's it's tough you know those beat writers they've got it tough you know sometimes they are think that they see something that they didn't actually see you know turns out that that wasn't the case we all worried about we spent a lot of time worrying about linebackers and holy cow the linebackers were great and corners i mean we (laughs) i mean oh and jonathan door oh my god jonathan door yeah, but I, door door was a, is a different example. The linebackers and corners was a whole roster thing. Guys were hurt. None of it really mattered. They were just sticking around. Door was just we're just waiting to see what he could do. And oh my God, can a guy knuckleball a fifty-one yard field goal? Yeah, yeah, he fucking can. He even well, outscored the entire Iowa State Cyclone <laughs> offense. <laughs> I said he was my real MVP. <laughs> yeah, I mean. They should have given him the MVP just like they uh, they should have given um, Kyle Brinza the uh, uh, pinstripe bowl MVP. Oh, no, pinstripe bowl. Yeah, he should have won the pinstripe bowl MVP. He was robbed. Hey, Tommy he threw like 57 passes in that game, so Tommy should have won it. Didn't throw a single oh. interception. We're about to get in a throwdown on the podcast <laughs> early over a pinstripe bowl MVP. You know what's the offseason. Hey, so I've got a crazy, I got a crazy theory about the Camping Bowl World MVP, right? So, as you're probably aware, the Camping Bowl, which was early given, the Camping World Bowl MVP was given to Chase Claypool. Which, if you could think of guys that were deserving, he certainly is in the mix or whatever. I think because this is media members that vote for this. I think the reason that Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa didn't win it was because everyone knew they would have to look up Wusu Koromoa to write it down correctly in their sheets, and then we're just like, ah, screw it. Chase Claypool. They can I, spell I, that I think the Notre Dame media should have that. Well, I mean, I, I, I feel you. I feel you. It was early. Like, that was ridiculously early. Or perhaps the Citrus Bowl, uh, whatever it's called, the Citrus Bowl group, Saw a bunch of write-ins for JOK, and they're like, "Is this some sort of joke?" Joke. Uh, I'm throwing <laughs> this one out. Uh, that's a good point. I, honestly, we didn't have a vote. Uh, our our representative at the uh, bowl game ended up getting sick uh, pretty badly and was not able to make it. But if I was up in there, I would have put down uh, Wu Tang Forever and see if yeah. they would have figured that one out. Fantastic game. 
<laughs> oh, he's that was incredible. Four four tackles for loss, three sacks, one forced fumble. And it's Michael Bryant fumble and you know recovery. This is an amazing game. It's Michael Bryan from 18 Stripes pointed out in his advanced stats review. There were 11 havoc plays the Notre Dame defense caused, and Jeremiah Usukormo is front and center for six of them. So I mean, he was just he was he was living in the Iowa State backfield. It was great. Amazing. And I think we'll we'll get to him later in the conversation a little bit. Um, talking about, I think t- tonight maybe we'll talk about a little bit about the roster. But there's a kind of a debate. You know, do you move do you move Wu from Rover to to Buck? Uh, th- you know, we're gonna have another linebacker debate in the spring. <laughs> so that's probably gonna mean nothing, right? Um, but you know, do you move him from Rover to Buck, or, or do you, do you leave him where he's at? That's a, I don't know. It's a tough. That's a tough call. Um, we'll have to wait and see, but, but yeah, Notre Dame 33, nine over Iowa state. It was a three point spread. Notre Dame blew it out of the water. Didn't allow a single touchdown really dominated the game. I mean, the, the funniest was people like early in the game tweeting out like, well, if it wasn't for those two turnovers, I'm like, yeah, if it wasn't for those two turnovers and an 84 yard touchdown and a <laughs> come, come on, this is all part of the part of football and this wasn't like a fluke that first fumble was um the first that first fumble Louis Hillman just listen, listen that first fumble slapped every media member in the face that said anything that week that week about Notre Dame coming out unprepared they're not going to be wanting to play this all that bullshit is what Elohi Gilman and Chase Claypool said and Jude you had you had hit that on the you know that nail right on the head. Like there's no way these guys were going to let down the, the, we, we know what these guys are all about. Gilman goes down there, strips that ball. Claypool recovers it. That's end game right there. I mean, you got two, two of your best players on offense and defense playing special teams, making a big play. That's end. That was end game right there. If I, if I'm a guy who wants to be the NFL draft, like as Alohi Gilman obviously uh, does because he announced today that he's going to pursue that, um, I would want to make sure that the last game I put on tape was max effort. And so I, you don't know what game they're going to pull out. You don't know if they're going to watch all your clips or some of them or just the last game. So if I, you know, I, it didn't surprise me that, like I said, that he was going to go uh, pedal to the metal on this. Because that's where he's going to find his place in the NFL. Is he's not going to be a guy that goes out into the combine and wows you. He doesn't have the measurables. He doesn't have the height or the the size. Right, but, and that's not to say that he can't play safety in the league. But I think all three of us agree he's going to find a home because of special teams, and then possibly work his way into the, you know into the rotation at safety somewhere, and he can make it that way. I mean, he Alohi Gilman could be a starting safety. This is not unheard oh, yeah. of in the league. But he's gonna. But his path to that is gonna be more along the lines, like you said, making it on special teams, making your name known, you know, and then things happen. Look, guys get hurt, guys play like shit, guys don't pan out, and guys like Gilman are the ones that are on the roster that eventually, you know, that impress coaches eventually rise up to those ranks. So yeah, he's got he's got a different path. But let's face it, I mean, Alohi Gilman has not been on a normal path since he left high school. He's, he's used to this. I mean, Matthias Farley collected an NFL paycheck for... Ben Jackson. Yeah. Sergio, Sergio Brown. David yeah. Bruton. Yeah. Oh, Just, I mean, there's a, a lot of great... A lot of, a lot of good NFL years in your years. pocket. 
But M- Matthias Farley is still on an NFL roster now. I mean, he, yep. he's so playing Chip, for the so New York Jets. Jackson. Just yeah, if you you just find that if you can go out there and show that you have that hustle, just keep keep at it. And and that's a, and that's something right there. All the names we've mentioned were guys that were special team standouts at Notre Dame too. Absolutely. I mean, every single one of them. I mean, Bennett Jackson was one. You know, remember his freshman year? I mean, you're like, who's that going down as a gunner? Oh, that's a wide receiver, Bennett Jackson. And then they moved him to a corner. You're like, well, yeah, because he's, I mean, this guy wants to hit people. So, absolutely. You know, best of luck to Alohi. I mean, I can't say enough good things about him. What what he brought to this team outside of just his play, you know, the way he emotionally uh, and mentally got this team up and about. He wasn't a very, very vocal guy, but he was definitely one of those guys that when he spoke, guys listened. And his play on the field spoke volumes about what was needed. He was a, a kind of throwback kind of safety. You know, take a, he's like a Tommy Zibikowski out there. I, mean, I don't just, think that it's hyperbole to say that if we didn't get Alohi Gilman from Navy, Notre Dame goes 12-0 and last year, right? Without without Alohi Gilman, they absolutely 100% don't go 12-0. and Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's a true statement. I also like thinking about what the 2017 team would have been like with him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was, that's the big one that's always stuck in my mind. You know, and then what, what, are, what are they this year without Alohi Gilman? Because yeah. he wouldn't have, I don't think he would have played this year had, had he had played the. In 2017. Yeah. 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 So, a lot, lot, I mean, there's a lot there, right? Yeah. Uh, so, let's look. Let's talk a little bit about the bowl game, guys. Um, probably the biggest storyline going into it, obviously, was was Tommy Reese um, going to be the play caller. <clears throat> was there? Did you guys see it? And Jude, we'll start with you. Did you see enough in this game to 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 tell you one way or the other if if Reese would be okay in your mind uh, as Notre Dame's next offensive coordinator? Was was there enough that you saw, or or was there? Maybe you know, still some doubts. I, I, I'm the one. I'm the per, I'm the person who is always warning people about ridiculously small sample sizes. I mean, we saw 65 offensive plays, of which Phil Dracovic probably ran, ran the last what five or seven of them. So, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I guess if you're pressing me on this, my comfort level is to have him as a co-OC because I think he has value. Um, but I think I just I, I want somebody I want somebody with him, and I I, I just I mean, there's something that Pete Sampson has been, and it, you get it even like double dose now because he says the exact same thing on the Shamrock as he does Irish Illustrated yeah. podcast, right? Um, the exact same thing in the exact same way, but uh, you know he's he's been kind of pushing that narrative of Notre Dame going out and getting an offensive coordinator, making Tommy a co OC with whoever that is. Um, and, and bringing him along that way is that more or less what you're what, what you're yeah. kind of advocating for? I, I think it I think it respects the fact that that Reese is an up and comer, um, but it also says I'm not handing you the keys to the Maserati because I don't actually know if you can you 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 can you can keep it on the road. You certainly can keep it on the road, but I, I'm looking to corner uh, with precision on this thing. You know what I mean? Like we're we're trying to. Uh, 
ascend the mountaintop. Like, did you? I mean, did you guys watch the playoff games? There's no way sure that our one-dimensional running, uh, rushing attack or offense with lack of rushing would have ever stood up against any of those four teams. You know, we would have probably. Not LSU. I'm gonna disagree with you on Oklahoma. I am too. But <laughs> strongly. But you know what? If we don't look, you can talk about this in alternate universe. Maybe we don't uh, lose to Michigan. Maybe we're in that seat or whatever. We're lo- we're 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 giving up insane amounts of points to LSU. I mean, they were just they were they're, they're leaps and bounds ahead of where Notre Dame is. And so I just don't feel like. And I get that Ian Book's coming back, and and this is all exciting, and Ian and and Tommy have a, a have a great relationship, and built on trust and I'm sure I'm sure he wants Tommy running the whole thing and maybe this is maybe him coming back is is a sneak peek of the fact that he knows that Tommy at least has a co co-role um but I just I I I just don't think it's enough I don't think it's enough to put to put Tommy Reese in there solo and and I'm I'm happy to be wrong I'm happy to be wrong well what about let me Brendan let me ask you this this part of the question so just going off of what Jude said there, and, I, and not sure if you even agree with him or not, but uh, I mean, does it soften? I mean, is, is there a softer landing here? With Let's just say Reese is the offensive coordinator. Is there a softer landing because of, of what we have on the defensive side of the football? I mean, even I predicted Iowa State was going to score like 27 points in the bowl game, and Clark Lee smacked that shit right down. I mean, I guess in a, in a lot of ways, I mean, Yes, I know there is a huge game. There's two huge games with Wisconsin and with Clemson next year and probably another bit could be another big one with Louisville. Um, but uh, it, to me, it kind of seems like Clark Lee kind of trumps a little bit of, of the negative, you know, if you will, with, with what could happen with Tommy. And, you know, he can make up for that with, with what they do on defense. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a little bit of a softer landing. Does that, does that make sense to you? It makes sense to me. And I mean, if they, I, I do sort of agree with the idea of going with a co offensive coordinator. And if I had my druthers, I would back a Brinks truck up to Norm, to Norman, Oklahoma, and get uh, Benball, the offensive line OC coach out of Oklahoma, who's put together infinite amounts of uh, top flight offensive lines. I thought he got a job. I thought he got a new job. He uh no he is the uh, offensive line coach and co-offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Um, I would try and lure him away, but if not, like so. See, I, that's the thing. There's that. I mean, look, let's list the guys that. And look, Notre Dame was Brian Kelly and Notre Dame are not going to go after some high-profile big name. I I I gotta have to remind everybody about about some things that have gone on since 2016. When Kelly brought Long in, this was Long's offense. I, it's been said out there uh, elsewhere a few things that this is Brian Kelly's offense. No, this is this is like, kind of like a it's a marriage, it's a merger. But this was Chip Long's offense that Chip Long was calling. He was not going to come here to play call Brian Kelly's offense. This is Chip Long's offense with Brian Kelly flavor, right? And Brian Kelly had stated, you know, when that was kind of brought up. But hey, look, you know, Chip Long's going to be gone someday. And so this has to be more of the Long Kelly offense so we can continue moving on, which makes total sense to anyone with a brain. Most people just choose to ignore that that was been said. 
So with, with that said, so now you kind of have this hybrid kind of offense. I just don't see them going to bring somebody in to change it all up. Uh, you know what I mean? It, it would have to be well, another kind of doesn't long. Want to do that. What's that? Kelly's already indicated he doesn't want to do that. Right, right. So I, who, I mean, who's that guy at? Who's that guy out there that follows that? There's a, there's a guy. <laughs> the only reason I mentioned it is because I had noticed that he started following Notre Dame. A lot of Notre Dame accounts was uh, Tulane's offensive coordinator. And that, I mean, so we're talking like someone like that, like the OC at Tulane. There's going to, there's some names out there, mid-level guys like where Chip Long came from that, you know, maybe it is, but I think anyone that's looking towards you know, the best, you know, is, oh, go, go get Brady. Go. Well, who, where was Joe Brady on everyone's radar this time last year? Right, and if right. you look at Oklahoma or not Oklahoma, if you look at LSU's offense, basically the hundred years prior to this year, they have been the most stagnant, awful, boring offense that's ever existed in the history of the world. There, there are issues naming LSU quarterbacks over the last 20 years. There's a lot of college football teams where I can just rattle off their quarterback names. But I think Jude and I had this little back and forth on Twitter where it was like, name that LSU quarterback for the, what, the, the who's the LSU quarterback for the Bowl. Music City Bowl? Couldn't do uh, it. God, who was it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it wasn't Jordan Jefferson. Uh, that was the guy that came after. I know the Packers love Anthony Jennings. It's just, but so nobody had him on the roster. But as far as Ian Book's concerned, or not Ian Book, uh, Tommy Reese is concerned. Um, there was something that I was, as I was watching the game, I was watching it sort of through the lens of evaluating uh, Tommy Reese. And I was getting mildly frustrated with the number of stretch run plays to Ian Jones. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Why do you keep running, plotting Tony Jones Jr. out to the edge? This is not working. And he just, the whole first quarter, Second quarter, doing the same thing. And then in the third quarter, what does Ian Tony Jones do? Runs for 84. I formation, under center. Bus a run, 84 yards. Stiff arms to Von Kyle from like the 15-yard line onwards. He basically had his head in his hand for like the last 15 yards running in there. Yeah, I was worried I was going to call a face mask on that. (laughs) And and then I kind of thought back, and I had the I had a lot of downtime, uh, you know, because I'm off for the Christmas New Year, and just to confirm myself, I went back and I looked, and in the last five games of the season, Iowa State allowed the three longest runs that they gave up. Kennedy Brooks ran for 48 yards against them um, at Oklahoma. Puka Williams ran also for 48 yards. In the Kansas game, where Kansas, that was a game that, that pulled Kansas right into it. Uh, they were just down by a score at that point. And then um, uh, Jacardia Wright, a frosh running back for uh, Kansas State, iced the game on a 37-yard run. Every single one of those runs were stretched to the outside where the Iowa State defenders overcommitted, and then there was nothing there in the secondary to stop them. And that's a, I, I'm encouraged by the fact that Tommy Reese probably watched that film and he was just testing it the whole game and it finally just clicked and he was able to stick with it and he saw something there because there's no coincidence that in the last five games, the last 
three long runs were all almost identical to that one. The the, the um, Kansas State one, it wasn't an I formation, but the but Skylar Thompson was under center, and it's almost a photocopy. Um, Jacadia Wright isn't quite the athlete that that Tony Jones is, and only got thirty seven. But um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was nice to see, and I also liked seeing uh, Ian Book take some shots. He took a lot of shots in that game. It felt like uh, he was looking for Chase Claypool on the the long one where he got robbed of the touchdown. Um, and it just seemed like he was always sort of, uh, and I, and I, that could be just a continuation of November because November he took more shots, but I like to see that from, from, uh, Tommy Reese and I'm encouraged by that. Plus it's not his offense. The whole season was chip long's offense. He was right. basically playing with chip long's offense. And how did Tommy Reese call? We don't know what a Tommy Reese offense even looks like at this point. But I was encouraged by his uh, by by what he did with the running game and then what he did with the passing game. I mean, I guess you would have to say Tommy Reese's offense is like if, if he's an offensive coordinator tomorrow, it's probably going to be a lot like what it, what we have now, right? Eighty nine percent Chip Long's offense. You're right, which is fine. Which is I mean, which is absolutely fine. I, I just think you know I, I've heard that mentioned before. Like, well, we don't know. I'm like, well. I mean, we kind of do. I mean, he played for Brian Kelly. Uh, literally, <laughs> he played literally for Brian, Brian Kelly, Kelly and, he, is... and, he co- and he coached with Chip Long the last three years. So I, I got a pretty good sense of what his offense would look like. I mean, we're Brian not... Kelly has literally told you he's not looking to fundamentally change right. his offense. He's going to run the long offense next year. And so, yes, will there be modifications? Will there be personal touches? Of course there will be. But it will fundamentally be a lot like we saw this year. And again, a lot of it's not broke. I, I don't remember who said it on Twitter, but it was like, you know, just throwing the ball up deep to Chase Claypool isn't really much of an offensive strategy. It it, it sure as hell is if it works. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. no I, I mean, I have, I have no I have no beef with the offense. Like the screens were shit. I thought some of the, you know, and I thought I thought a lot of the run, a lot of the run blocking schemes were bad. I did. I don't like pulling guys every time. I don't like a lot of the stretch stuff. Not to say that you get rid of all that. I just like, thought some of it was over excessive. Like in cases where, you know, you need where it's second and three and you're running the ball. I I, no, I didn't see enough of a straight pound, uh, you know, on a play call like that. I mean, just it's little stuff, but it was stuff, you know, throughout the season. And in fact, over the last few years, you, you just notice and like, yeah, you know, I, I wish that was a little bit different. Maybe that would be, maybe that'd be the case. And it's all still within the scope of the same offensive game, you know, set, you know, so. Uh, Greg, friend of the pod from UHND pointed this out to me today. We were talking today uh, on, on Twitter. Uh, Cole Komet did not have a good game. He sure. had, he had uh, <laughs> more than a couple of uh, blocks where he just got lazy, literally, literally very lazy on finishing blocks. And there was one, uh, I think it was a crosser to, to Chase Claypool, and he does not finish his man at all. And it, it requires Chase to basically reroute instead of basically sprint down the field. And there was another, um, I can't remember the circumstance, but he just, it was a running play and they were backed up against their own end zone. And he just, he whiffed on his dude. He just absolutely whiffed. And, it, and Greg and I basically just decided that 
this was a guy who was playing like this was his last game and he didn't want to get hurt. And almost like it was, it was kind of tipping his hand about what his plans were. Um, you know, it, look, you know, a, an NFL draft scout comes out and says, you're the number one tight end in a weak tight end class. And so you're thinking, and you get a second round draft grade from the, from the NFL advisory committee. Like I, I get it. I totally, and you, and you know what happened to Jalen Smith and, and, or if you want to, you want to talk about your position, Jake, Butt, you know what, you know what can happen. I, I, I get all that, but he did not, he did not put a good game on tape. We just, we were talking earlier about, you don't know what game they're going to look at. If they look at that game, they're not going to be that impressed. He rolled up his knee in that game too, didn't he? In the Iowa State game. Like, Cole Komet, didn't he, didn't he, uh, didn't he get his knee rolled up on a play? And they, they had to take him out and look at it? Uh, you know what? I don't, I don't remember. Do yeah, you know no. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. But, and I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, Jude. I just, I, I'm not 100% sold that that's what's actually happening. It makes total freaking sense, though. But I mean, I get, I get, honestly, I just, I think it's a flip of the coin one way or the other. I could, there's a lot of reasons for him to come back. There's a lot of reasons for him to leave. It's just a matter of which reasons he finds that he makes important, right? Right. Like, and that goes for just about anybody in that situation. But I think, you know, not that many people hold their, you know, hold the keys to their future with their decision to, as soundly as what Komet does right now. So, look, I'm I, not. I, I don't, don't blame him for leaving, but I'm just. Oh saying, no, no, like, no, no, no. What I'm saying is, is that I, I get what you're saying about you know, kind of like, hey, I'm gonna make sure I'm not getting hurt in this game because I'm about to go in the draft. Uh, but I'm just, I'm not 100 sold that was the case. I can see him. Talk, we talk about guys who aren't dialed in. I mean, th- he was to me, he was the clearest case of a person who just wasn't dialed in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he only had two catches, and he had a he had a two drops. I think he had two drops in the game. Yeah, it wasn't. That was that was a funny part of the game plan. Or maybe it wasn't part of the game plan, but as far as the offense went, I thought it was. There were there could have been a lot more Cole Komet in that <laughs> used in that game. I felt, uh, especially the way they were pushing the ball downfield uh, with Chase. That just means there is a vast opening of wilderness uh, in the middle of the middle field for uh, for a tight end to come through. So I don't know. Maybe that maybe that's a big derogatory mark on Tommy Reese that we're not that no one's talking about. Like, why wasn't this pushed harder for Komet to get the ball more? May, and maybe that's on Komet. Maybe that's on Tommy. Maybe that's on Ian. I, you know, I don't know. If I'm a tight end, um, I know that there's been nine tight ends drafted in the first round this decade. I don't know if I'm content with getting a second round dra- grade and saying, "Yep, that's what I want," because that's the difference between like what seven and uh two million dollars what did isn't the first round got drafted in the second round tyler eifert was late first yeah he was late first um Uh, i mean the big deal for the first round is the guaranteed contract it's the it's the possible five year yeah you get the guaranteed fourth year with the possibility of a fifth and you get the your base salary i think is is higher way higher yeah of course um I mean, yeah, there's only been like three years out of the decade where um, and then in 2017, they had three tight ends go in the first round. It's just if you're the top of the, the class and you're a second round grade, I mean, that's the two thing, Iowa's though, is last you're the, you're year. You're the top of the class. 
Yeah. So regardless about where they have you rated at, if someone needs a tight end in the first round, and there's there very well may be a couple of teams, well, and you're this- sitting there, that and maybe you're their biggest need. That's that. That's a huge thing. If you're the number one player at your position, that's a huge reason to leave outside of being a kicker. Well, I mean, half the tight ends taken in the first round are taken by either by Cincinnati or Detroit. And I think Cincinnati is taking Joe Burrow and Detroit uh, is probably taking <laughs> Chase Young. So um, if you wait till next year, maybe Cincinnati will will be in the market for a tight end again, and you can get that that top ten uh, Cincinnati money because I'm sure Cincinnati uh, Tyler Eifert doesn't have a ton left in the tank after his 37th injury. Um, yeah, they might be in the market for another first round tight end. To, Remember to- when Tyler Eifert was uh, done for his career, uh, like around his sophomore year, <laughs> because of an injury. I mean, he ended yeah. up having a pretty good year this year, 500 yards. And then he ended up cutting commercials for the, the back center of S- South Bend or whatever it was called, right? About yeah. how they got him back on the field. Yeah. You, it you like, that, South Bend might come to right? an end. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So I'm, let, me guys, let me ask you guys. what? Let's kind of wrap up the Camping World Bowl here a little bit. How much does this mean to you? I mean – I, I kind of, I've been in a little bit of a, I won't say battle, but just discussion uh, with some fans about this. And, and something I had said was, you know, that this was, you know, they I, I think that this team fell far short of their potential this season, but it was still a, you know, a, a pretty decent ending, right? I, I'm okay with 11 and two bowl one. That's fine. I don't, I don't think a, Campion World Bowl win against a seven and five Iowa State team. Don't give a shit what anyone says about how good they actually are. They're still seven and they well seven and six now. That's to me that's far short of the potential from this team. I had predicted eleven and one, um, you know, it's college football playoff possibility, but at least a New Year's six. Now Notre Dame did get unfairly in my mind, and apparently in a lot of other people's minds now that it's all over and done with. Um, you know, held back for five weeks, not moving up. Probably should have been in the Cotton Bowl. But, I mean, how did all the, how good do you feel about all this? I feel great. I wrote a very disparaging article about Iowa State. I don't know if you read it. Uh, I was not nice to Iowa State in general because I thought they were, (laughs) I watched all their dumb games and they were just generally trash. And I cannot begin to explain how just giddy I was watching this game, knowing that I had no crow to eat. Um, the fact that Clark Lee went out there and held Iowa State to 83 yards of total offense in the second half and just put his boot on the neck of Matt Campbell and and Brock Purdy and that entire offense and just said, you will not be doing anything. And yeah, 11 yards in, a, in the fourth quarter. It was, Oh, yeah. Well, and they had a, a four-yard. Uh, yeah, two drives. Well, no, it wasn't. A, it was a minor. They had a... Um, Look at the drive charts right here. It was it was a it was a negative five and a six, six yard, yard drive. Negative six. Oh yeah. It was negative six. Absurd. Absolutely. It was see. a master hey, class. Brandon, you if if you watch the uh, Iowa State Oklahoma game, I, I think the one thing that people like every single person was like, well, they only lost to Oklahoma by one point. They had a chance to win the game. They went for two. Well, 
Yeah, but they were also down 21 going into the fourth quarter, which sure I think were. speaks it speaks way more about Oklahoma's Oklahoma. trash defense and than we know all about Oklahoma's, Iowa State. Because Joe Burrow put the most masterful performance of any I, I've never seen or been that giddy watching a quarterback play football as I was. Joe Burrow, the best quarterback in my college football lifetime, playing the worst college football defense of my lifetime, just absolutely shredding them. It was it was it was delightful. But yeah, no, that was all on Oklahoma's terrible defense and just the Big Twelve in general. I think if the if Notre Dame joins the Big Twelve they probably win it every year because they're the only team that uh, this is the best defense as far as athletes go that Iowa state probably has ever played in the Matt Campbell era. And it showed, they just shut them down. Absolutely shut them down. And, and I'm encouraged by what I saw from players like Jeremiah Wusukoromoa going into the future from Ian book, who's coming back, which is fantastic. Um, I was excited to see Chase Claypool getting the send-off, and if that's it for Tony Jones, what a send-off for Tony Jones. Um, yeah, the the future couldn't be brighter for this defense and just the roster in general. And I, I just, I don't know, I enjoy watching my team win comfortably on the final game of the year, which isn't something that I was able to say that I did at all for most of the 90s and 2000s. So, do you think it's fair? Do you think it's fair to sit... Uh to be both greatly satisfied and pleased uh, today with Notre Dame football, but at the same time also having the feeling that, like I said, I still think they fell far short of their potential for the season. Can you, can can those two ideas can, I mean, I'm a crazy ass person, so I can, I think I, you know, I talk on a, I'm a weird guy. So I think I could have both those feelings because of the kind of person I am. I don't think a lot of people out there are the same way, but can you have both of those thoughts in your head? Can you be, can you be satisfied with the way things ended up, but still know that they really did not meet, live up to what, what we had hoped, like knowing that, like strongly knowing that. I don't think that's crazy at all. And so this is, look, as Brendan, I to piggyback on what Brendan said, I always like watching my team win. And and after Michigan, which was a colossal disappointment and just uh, just kind of a, a soul-sucking kind of night, they won six games in a row. You can't take away the feeling of watching your team play 13 times and have them win 11 of those games and be, be involved in a chance to win the, in 12 of those games. So, I, look, yes, absolutely. Am I... It, if you were to grade the season, it's like a B, right? But I, I, I say, I'd give it a, a strong B plus. Okay, B plus, fine. It's a B plus, but we were looking for A work, right? And so yeah. what what do we what do we hold on to? I hold on to the fact that if we were the four seed and played LSU, that that we would have had to listen to that bullshit for another year about how we don't belong in the playoff. Even but I guess I guess in my, but in my year. mind though too. I, let's just say Notre Dame. Let's just say Notre Dame lost by four points up in Ann Arbor, or even beat Michigan, or the the stupid blowout not showing up game didn't didn't happen in, in some way where it was a lot closer or there was a win. I still feel that Notre Dame probably would have, even with a loss, a close loss, Notre Dame would have ended up in the Cotton Bowl. And so, to me, that's where the real disappointment begins. I never really felt this team was capable of winning the playoffs. 
And especially what have we seen from – not Oklahoma. Oklahoma's trash. LSU, Ohio State, Clemson clearly uh, are, are cut above and, and, and would have handled Notre Dame probably pretty easily, easily. this year. Yeah, easily. So, but Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl against Memphis. Memphis. Yep. I think that was a that would be that would have been a big that have been a much bigger win <laughs> than this. And it, so, which only makes me crazier, knowing that Notre Dame had sat there at fifteen for five fucking weeks for no reason. I mean, and and the reason I it drives me not even more crazy now is because now Notre Dame other Notre Dame beat writers are starting to say what I've been saying for a month and a half. And even guys at ESPN were saying, you know, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot to why in the hell, you know, this, this was a kind of an underranked, it's a weird feeling, I guess. Notre Dame is often overranked. Uh, when you're sitting there underranked, you're like, what the hell? Uh, so, yeah, I there is a strong disappointment. I felt that they could have been 11-2 and two Cotton Bowl winners, Heading in now, does it make any difference for no. for a lot of people? No, right. Except for the nineteen, it puts the the New Year Six yes. uh, monkey yeah, off the back, one. right? It puts a so narrative. That, to that rest. would be helpful. But look, Penn State is getting also, absolutely. But also, Penn State is getting absolutely no credit for 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 putting it to Memphis so hard. Uh, they're getting nothing from that. So no, but you know what they're going to be though? They're going to be a top ten team, right? They're ranked nine. They beat that. They're not dropping out of the top ten. And Correct. I, I still think that that is a very important thing. People can say that it's not, but it's extremely important. Notre Dame ranked 14 right now in the AP. Look, there's no college football playoff ranking after the Bulls. They're done. They set it up and they walk away um, like the villains they are. The AP is still sitting there. They, now, the AP has Notre Dame ranked ahead of Michigan. So there's some kind of like thought in their minds that Notre Dame's better than what they were in October. So well, there's Michigan's still a also lost three times and gotten blown out. So right, blown out twice. Yeah. Um, so, well, I mean, F- Florida and Virginia are in a death death match right now in the Orange Bowl, and that's a Virginia team that Notre Dame in the second half handled pretty easily, right? Um, Man, I don't know. It's one of those instances where I don't think that you can. I mean, you can hold it against Notre Dame because there was the Michigan blowout. But the fact that they were in the Camping World Bowl, I don't think that you can hold it against this football team. And I don't think that that should be something that factors into your end game assessment of the season. I, I just, I just, I guess I agree that I wish we were in the Orange Bowl or the Cotton Bowl or a New Year's Six Bowl, but the committee just. They just forgot about Notre Dame. Just getting to that top 10, and we've spoke about this before, and I think Jude's in agreement with me. Finishing in the top 10 is an important thing. Like, even 11 yeah. is okay, but just be able to sit there and say, like, on a, re- on a recruiting flyer that you send out, showing that, you know, the last two years, finished number five, which was a joke. You should have been number four. And then finishing within the top 10 the next, you know what I mean? Like, that's a, it's an easy thing to roll out the tongue rather than say, well, we've, finish fifth and finish 12th. 12th, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Say, you know, two top 10 finishes, a top five, you know, they're things to rattle off. It's a thing to sell because what ended up becoming like one of the bigger stories of the bowl week was Brian Kelly's comments about recruiting. Right. Everyone's making a big deal of it. And for a reason that it's, it's a big deal. Like if Brian Kelly's going to get even going to grind even harder when it comes to recruiting, fuck, that's great. 
And so, but you well, need more, you need more ammo to do that. He's starting to believe. I mean, I, I think a lot of people were saying for years, Brian Kelly says we can't be a top five recruiting uh, team. Why not? And I think that a lot of people were like, well, you know, academics, Midwest, winter, you know, no, hist- no recent history. Nobody's won in these kids' lifetimes, blah, 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 or whatever. And now it's just he's starting to believe. And that's huge because if he's going to push and get – that's that's how you get up the mountaintop. Sure you is. Know? It's why Notre Dame beat the crap out of Iowa State when people thought that maybe it'd be closer. Flat out, Notre Dame, from top to bottom of that roster, was way better than, I, than Iowa State. There are NFL players up and down Notre Dame's roster that are not on Iowa State's. And you just had to go out there and play real football, and the, the results are clear-cut. That's what happened when Notre Dame would play in Alabama. That's the kind of game right there. It was just you were owned because the players are better. And we're going to take a quick break uh, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about those players and more about Notre Dame's future here uh, on the OFT podcast. All right, we're back and we were just talking about recruiting and I don't want to dive too much in the weeds on that, but. Obviously, Notre Dame is, like you just said, Jude, Brian Kelly's making it a point. So next year, we're looking square ahead now. We are just freaking running towards spring practice, setting up for 2020. And, you know, as we speak, there's decisions being made about who's staying on the roster, who's not. But it feels like the roster, even with Lohi Gilman being gone, even with the possibility of Tony Jones, who's now, after I reported that he was probably gone, no decision has been made. We'll have to wait and see on that still. But there's a lot coming back to this Notre Dame team. Even, you know, still waiting on a decision about Cole Komet even. But even without Komet, there is still a lot on this team, on both sides of the football, on special teams, where and a schedule that isn't the hardest in the country as we look at it right now. There's a lot there. I just, I, I really w- hope that we would have had Tony Jones Jr. back because the idea of having incoming freshman Chris Tyree with a thunder to the absolute lightning that Chris Tyree is going to provide this team uh, is something that had me sort of salivating. I don't know if you've seen any. I mean, I've been pounding the Chris Tyree uh, uh drum for as long as humanly possible but reports are is that like he's bulked up he's still running for two four three speed um i'm very excited for that and uh, brendan brendan they're gonna disappoint you you know this right <sighs> yeah you, kyle you know, hamilton i, I, I hamilton. know that you know that you're going to be clamoring for him to be on the field a lot more than he actually is on the field and you know all if you want if you want the proof of that Braden Lindsay is the proof of that. Read the no. athletic story about Braden Lindsay. He here's didn't the, get on the field because he didn't understand the freaking playbook. Here's the so. difference between Braden Lindsay and um, Chris Tyree. Chris Tyree is a top 50 five-star player in the nation. And Brian Kelly has gone on record saying that we are not doing our job for, for players like Jalen Smith, five legit five-star players. When Kelly gets a five-star player, transcendent player, he finds a way to get them on the field. Brayden Lindsey was not 
a five-star player. He was, he was track fast, but he was low end four star. He was 24, seven sports, two fifteen, right. Composite 24, seven, two fifteen ranked brain. Lindsay was just a fast guy who, who had some raw talent. Chris Tyree is a five-star number one, all purpose back Zeke Elliott level talent that we have not seen. And I, I don't know if if Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese or whoever the offensive coordinator is cannot find a way to get a legitimate four three speed running back who is one of the best in the entire class onto the field. I don't know what we're doing. I, I'm telling you right now, if they do not think he can pass block, he will not be on the field. If they think he does not yeah. understand the plays that are being called, he will not be on the field. I, I don't care how fast you. the kid I, runs. I think- and he's not, early he's, see, he's not early in the I think fans are going to see a lot less of Tyree than what they think. Now, what exactly all that means, I, you know, I, I, I can't say, I can't say for sure, certain, but it's that he, Chris Tyree is not going to be a featured back next year. No, he's going to be I, a, but here, but here's the problem, which is going to be fine against nobodies. But when you, you're going to need him to get the ball more in his hands against a team like Clemson, but is he going to be is he going to be up to the task by then? Are they going to have him up to speed? There is so you know. Then they get they Jude hit it on the head. If they don't think he can pass block, he won't be out there. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's I think it's one of the most overrated things for a running back. Like then you they were so worried about the they were so worried about Dexter Williams. Avery Davis couldn't pass block and almost got no, Ian Book killed. Right, but, but, but no, Avery, you're my, talking about low four stars. Talk like, about Avery Davis. Here's my point about yeah, I'm talking about pass blocking. How do you keep Dexter Williams off the field? I don't give a shit if he whiffs on every pass block possible. Then don't pass the ball. Give it to Dexter. He gets stuffed twice. He's going to break one. He proved was, that. Already. Who was that the was, difference? That, that's my whole point in that, on that end of it. Who it's was like, one of the biggest differences in the 2017 Georgia Notre Dame football games? It was DeAndre Swift who got two touches. And one of those touches went for 40 yards. True freshman DeAndre Swift. Listen, one, you got three. You got three good tight. It's cool. Let's just say Cole Komet comes back. Hell, let's just say Cole Komet doesn't come back. You have two tight ends and Tommy Tremble and Brock and Brock Wright. And Tremble played the role of fullback on this Camping World Bowl, which gets me all excited just seeing a regular running back number back there line up at, full, at fullback. But uh, you got another guy coming in, Michael Mayer, who could probably play as a freshman. George Takis saw a decent amount of time in the Camping World Bowl. You don't need to have your running back in pass protection. Send him out on a route. That, that enough said. That <laughs> I don't care if someone's keying in on that. If that's what's taking away c- carries, then you're not figuring it out correctly. You're, you're, totally I, I, over, you're totally overlooking the second part of this, which is if you don't know the plays that are being called, you can't be on the field either. Now that part, not no, that part, I, that part, I do agree with you. Yeah, me too. But if, if you if can't you're, put, if you're saying to me that Chris Tyree is going to get two cut touches in, in a big game, then I I absolutely agree with you. I'm just saying you're not going to be satisfied with two because those two are going to be looking good, but it's the two that he understands. I'm not saying we can't get him there. I mean, obviously they got Braden Lindsay there because he went from a did not play in the Louisville game to where he was right. So. I, I think that There's, they can get him there. I just I, I just don't think that Chris Tyree is going to be is going to be helpful in the Wisconsin game. There is a discrepancy in talent that we are talking about here where Chris Tyree is the number twenty five ranked 
player in the entire recruiting class, the number one all-purpose back, absolute five-star, point nine. Yeah, but we can make the same two. argument for for um, Jakovic, too. You know, he was much higher, higher he was rated four, than... He was a four-star. people are making that argument right now. People are, like, pissed that Book's coming back because Phil's so much better because he was a stud in high school. I... I understand. I understand the point there. And look, I, there's no doubt in my mind at all that Chris Tyree is a hell of a football player. But at the same time, I'm with Jude in saying I think people need to tamp their expectations a little bit. Had it maybe it'd be different? In fact, no, it would be a lot different if Tyree was an early enrollee. Agreed. It'd be a bit ton different. Yeah. Yep. But he's not. He's not. He's good. He's coming in in June like everybody else. And he's been on track. Yeah, so I Here, mean, here's what I would say though for Chris Tyree. Touches this season that would be an average of five a game. I think that would be. I think that's about max. I, I honestly think that's about about maxed out. I, now, I can be proven. Wrong. I'll be. I'm be happy to be proven wrong in that. But because of what Notre Dame has coming back at running back, guys that they trust, I I just, I have a. I, I, as much as I would want Tyree to get the ball more, I have a hard time seeing them do it based. I mean, Brian Kelly saying, if we don't figure out a way to get him the ball, that doesn't mean that we need to give, he's not saying they're going to give him the ball 15 times a game. No, absolutely they're just not. trying to figure out a way to get, to optimize him here and there. At least if so, he doesn't touch the ball uh, 10 uh, times against uh, Clemson, uh, I will eat a hat. I will eat my hat. If he doesn't touch the ball 10 times, uh, at least right. 10 times. I will eat a fucking hat because it's look <laughs> a hat right here in my hand. How many, t- how many times did Kyle Hamilton get on the field against Louisville? How many times did Kyle Hamilton get on the ball uh, on the field against Louisville? How many times did Kyle Hamilton get on the ball in, on the field in meaningful minutes in like the first four or five games of the season. But by season's end, listen, I have a Ross Moore industries knit winter hat from Twinsburg, Ohio. That has a Notre Dame. Are we going to uh, live stream this? Ten right touches. Now? Ten we touches. I, I love the hat. I, I love this winter hat. I love it. You didn't uh, say ten, I will, right. I will ten to touches. To ten, touches. ten touches. Ten touches against Clemson. That's ten plays. Ten touches. Ten touches against Clemson. Well, you cannot get ten Definitely touches. Definitely take the under on that. A thousand percent take the under on that. And Brendan, I will I will give you a Drew Tranquil-esque apology if I'm wrong about this. But I am... <laughs> I just I feel like I know Brian Brian Kelly. He just doesn't trust these freshmen, no matter how talented they are. If barring injury, so if he gets injured, yeah, of right, course. All right. bets are off if he's injured. Right? Yeah. All I mean, bets are off if he's yeah, injured. But injury. if he is healthy by the Clemson game in the biggest game of the season, right? I think that the only way that if you have national championship aspirations, the only way that you can win a title in every single team except for the 2015 Alabama Crimson Tide, every single team that's won a national championship this decade, if it's either LSU or if it's Clemson, had a top five skill position player on their roster. Every single one of them, except for the 2015 Alabama Crimson Tide, had a top five skill position player, quarterback, running back, wide receiver. If Notre Dame has any aspirations of beating Clemson, they need to understand that Chris Tyree has to touch the ball in that football game because he is he is a hopefully right with the sort of speed we've never had anything like him. So I I just 
I think that by, you know, November, we'll have figured out a way to get him involved in the game. Okay. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going mean, to go with all that. Clemson, Clemson has 10 Chris Tyrese, but okay. Clemson doesn't have any Chris I, Yeah, I know. Because no, gets a lot of credit. Pretty damn impressive. I don't know about you guys, but no, listen. No, no, Clemson's no. roster He's... gets a lot of credit for what they're doing right now on the on the recruiting trail. Yes, but I mean, look, they're fabulous players. Don't get me wrong. Fuck, they're defending national champions, and then they're in a good position to win another one, being in the title game. But their roster itself, which is a credit to their coaching staff, is not a top five, uh, you know, recruiting roster. They're yeah, the average, they average about seven. Like they average about seven or eight. What they do is they do get some some very good skill players, and they develop uh, like offensive linemen are not. A lot of them are highly recruited. They got a couple last year, but their but their average ranking is like right around seven or eight up until this year when they just went ballistic. Um, but yeah, so they're getting a lot of credit for past years for this year. Um, which is a kind of a detriment. I mean, it's kind of a diss to their coaching staff because those guys really developed the shit out of their roster. Yeah, I mean, Travis Etienne's uh, a mid mid four star, and he had one of the sickest cuts that I've seen in a college football Dude, playoff that game. That was absurd. But yeah. yeah, Clemson doesn't have anything like Travis Etienne. Fantastic player. I'm not going to disparage Travis Etienne I'm not, at all. I'm not just talking about running back. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not limiting but Justin Ro- back. But Justin Ross, Justin Ross was a freshman last year, and they managed to find a way to put him on the field against Notre Dame, Dabo right? Sweeney. It's not Brian Kelly, though. That's not true. Brian Kelly. It's Dabo Sweeney. That's I mean, true. I, I will acquiesce that. I just a, hope that... There's a big difference there. Brian Kelly has never had... What What has he had? He's had... Uh, how many five-star player offensive players did Brian Kelly sign? One? Gunnar Keel? Is that it? Is that the only five-star yeah, that he had Brian James Kelly. Aldridge? No, that's... No, that's, that's, um, Chuck that's Charlie Weiss. Oh, he didn't play the 2010 season? I don't think so. No, that was Robert Hughes. I mean, yeah. but the, but that... Even then would be besides the point of what do you do with a five-star offensive skill player as a freshman? Right. right. No, that's true. I mean, that's, that, 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 that's the whole point here. We've seen, I mean, we've seen them not play. Like, I like to bring up, I bring up it a lot. It was, you know, uh, Stefan Tuitt and Aaron Lynch against Michigan in 2011. Like, what, where the fuck were they that whole game? Where were they? Uh, you know, then after that game, they're out there knocking heads. Uh, so there, there is a long history of, of guys under Kelly that, you know, and allowing your buddy Van Gorder to totally misuse the great, what probably the, Best Uh-oh. athlete Notre Dame football's ever had in Jalen Smith. I mean, how the hell do you not blitz him? How do you screw that one up? Uh, but um, I mean, this is this is an argument that no one's going to figure out until we get into week four or five, anyways, right? I mean, this is something we'll be talking about all off season, and we're going to be banging our heads against the wall like we are now because there's no clear cut answer. Like, does we've seen Brian Kelly evolve and change as a coach and what he's done for sure. But how much it still remains to be a question. Like, what, what's the difference? And look, a lot of this hinges on Chris Tyree himself. If, if Chris knows the playbook, and that, that's a, that, that is the biggest one right there. It's, it's not like how well the pass blocker is. It's, it's more or less, does he know what, where he's supposed to be at? If he, if he can knock that down, maybe, you know, maybe Brendan's prediction isn't so far off. You know that they want him out there. You know, I mean, 
it's not that you don't want a guy with that kind of speed to not have the ball in his hands. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they're worried about Chris Tyree fumbling. That's the, 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 uh, the confidence they have, it doesn't base on that. It's based on, are you going to be where you're supposed to be at on this play? Are you going to know the check down, the audible? There's just so much that goes up with lining up. And it, it may not matter, Dick, um, you know, maybe even against Navy, but it's going to matter against Wisconsin. It's going to matter against Clemson. It's probably going to matter against Louisville. Um, USC, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's certainly something that we're all going to be, you know, just going nuts about. Um, but, you know, let's flip the, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball for a minute. Again, Clark Lee is on this team. He's not, he's not going, he's going to be Notre Dame's defensive coordinator. And I got to say, I think there's a lot of trust. I want to place a lot of trust in Notre Dame's offense and what they do based on the fact that Clark Lee's calling on the other side. Even without Alohi Gilman, Jalen Elliott, Cal Hamilton steps into a starting role automatically. Maybe Pryor wins the job. Maybe it's Houston Griffith on the, as the other safety. We're pretty, pretty certain Sean Crawford's coming back for another year. Uh, the other corner spot, you know, is that Tariq Bracey? Um, does Isaiah Rutherford step up? Who plays a nickel? May, all those are like questions like I think we're going to talk about a lot <laughs> in the offseason, but it doesn't really matter, right? Because none of it mattered last year in the offseason uh, to game one. Um, and again, you're, you're placing a lot of edge rushers, but you got a lot of edge rushers. Um, I just do you, do you guys think it's safe to say? Notre Dame is sitting right now so comfortable with the strength of their defense that it doesn't, it, it matters less now what we do offensively. When you wow. mentioned JOK and if potential moving, right? If you wanted to move Jeremiah, yeah, I mean, I mean, there, there is I, a line of thought that, that he can move from Rover to buck. Um, and then uh, Paul Moala would step into that Rover role or, Jack Kaiser or a combination of the two. Um, or, you know, he stays at Rover and you got, you know, Jack Lamb uh, available on the buck. Jordan Gedmark Heath, another guy that's going to be a, a senior next year, um, believe it or not. Another guy that can step into the buck role. I mean, th- there's some there's some pieces there again. And again, I, I guess I, it doesn't really matter. I think Clark Lee's going to figure out. It, it's like, it's, oh, I, look I, at Asmar I, I, this year. Right, just look at what exactly, Asmar exactly. Bilal did this year. It's just exactly. like Clark Lee is the linebackers slash defensive coordinator. He can do whatever the heck he wants. I'm just throwing my hands back and be like, Clark, show me. I just, just I disagree. I mean, I think the reason that Brandon Wimbush got replaced was that you know, and that Brian Kelly specifically mentioned how many plays Drew Tranquil at everyone was on the field for against Ball State. Right, they were yeah. going to give up points. If that offense, because that offense wasn't working, and that you're gonna, you you can't just say, oh, the defense is gonna be great. No, the defense is gonna get fatigued if you don't have an offense that worked running. Okay, you call you called out my my hyperbole. Okay, so let me walk that back. But I mean, I so not that it it doesn't matter. I'm just saying it it matters less. You know what I mean? Like, I think this offense is gonna be able to move the look. You're gonna have a fifth year senior at quarterback who's who's what 20 and three as a starter. Yeah. Who's he thrown to Brady Lindsay and guys. 
Okay. Kevin Austin. None of those guys are the myth. The Chase myth Claypool. of Kevin Austin. No, 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 the myth of Kevin Austin. Yeah, but Chase Claypool wasn't really Chase Claypool until this year either. So no, I mean, Chase Claypool was no uh, Miles Boykin, who is no uh, Will Fuller. Was, I mean, we didn't have Kevin Stefferson either. Can you imagine having Kevin Stefferson on this team? Oh my God. Um, yeah. Uh, but so I, I just I think the offense is going to be fine. Like uh, as far as like they're, I'm not too worried about about a whole lot of the ins and outs. I mean, you're going to have the entire starting offensive line coming back. I I think I'm pretty okay with what they have based upon the fact that you're, they're not going to have to score 35 points a game. I think they, they probably can and will and should, but if you're only giving up 18 points a game, which seems to be a Clark Lee um, thing, then you're, you're, you're pretty set, right? If you have playoff aspirations, you need to be scoring north of 40 points per game. Every single team in the college football playoff this year, LSU is averaging 48.9. That's disgusting. Uh, Ohio State averaged 46.9. Clemson averaged 45.3. And Oklahoma was way down at 42.1. So if you have playoff aspirations... Almost Notre Dame in 2018 was the lowest scoring team to ever make the playoffs. So if you have playoff aspirations, you have to be scoring 40 points a game, right? I mean, the year before Oklahoma was at 40 or well, they weren't in it, but um, uh, yeah, Oklahoma, Clemson and uh, uh, Alabama all north of 40. And then Notre Dame was, uh, you know, way down there at uh, 31. So I think you have to score 40 points per game if you want to have playoffs aspirations in modern college football, yeah, right? There's, there's okay, no dude, so do you I think that they can score 40 points a game? I, I Look, I, it's impossible for me to say. It's December 30th, and I don't know right. who's coming back. No, 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 no. no. We're, we're not, we're not going to hold your feet to the fire you know, in September. <laughs> or something you said sure. on December 30th, buddy. You know what, though? Absolutely. Happy New Year, everybody. My gift to you is, <laughs> is my belief that Notre Dame will score 40 points. Like, I mean, like, it's never done. Yeah, we're, just, we're just keeping it in the realm of this conversation. Like, got, got a gut feeling what you're looking at right now. We don't even know the exact pieces for Notre Dame's team next year. Is. I, no, I, I, right now I say no. Right now okay. I say that's, no. that's a fair call. No, I, I don't think they can either. Or maybe not even so much as they can. I just don't think they will. Um, you know, for whatever reason, uh, nothing really ever works out, does it? <laughs> the, quite the way we think. Like even, even with all those pieces coming back, there's going to be something that's going to not going to feel right here and there. I got to tell you, last season was, for as many points as they scored per game, was the, it was just the biggest mystery to me. Like, they're, the offense looked so discombobulated. It's just like they happened upon points. And that's not to say that they weren't good. It was just like, something about it just didn't click right. It wasn't going full speed, but it was still a Ferrari running, you know, or <laughs> going down the track. Just maybe now, maybe it's missing a cylinder or two. Well, um, so interesting to me was that the fan base, at least those who I interact with on Twitter or watch on Twitter, was so, like, gave Notre Dame absolutely no credit. It was like, after the first quarter of every game, it was like freak out central. You know, oh, this, this, they're going to lose this game. This offense is, you know, and then by the fourth quarter, when they had it all figured out, we were running away with another 28 point win. And everyone forgot like what they said in the first quarter. And every single week, that pattern would repeat itself. 
And so I get what you're saying about the the feeling, the, the like the gut feeling, like this is not this doesn't this this engine doesn't work like it should. But then it always got you from point A to point B. You know, yeah, you know, it, it kind of reminds me in a way, and this is going to be a, a a very accurate analogy, but I, I always call it the Alabama lean, right? Like you look up at the score, like sometimes from the last few years of Alabama, and it was like, you know, like 10 to 3 or 13 3. It, it was kind of surprising. Like, uh, that seems kind of close, right? But then Alabama just kept leaning on teams and leaning on teams and leaning yeah. on teams. By the end of the game, it was, you know, 42 to 6. It's like, solid verbal oh. crockpot. I was yeah. going to say, that's exactly what, that's why solid verbal coined the phrase crockpotting. Right. And, in a lot of ways, that's that was Notre Dame last year. Yeah, to, they did a lot to, of that. They were they a, it was a, a smaller crockpot. They crockpotted Duke. They crockpotted Boston Navy. College. Boston College. Yeah, it was a smaller crockpot, but that's exactly crock-pot. what they did. And maybe Stanford. Notre Dame fans just aren't. I mean, I, look, fans are are freaking crazy nuts, anyways, right? <laughs> I've been getting, I have been getting so much pleasure out of reading like all the Facebook comments because Facebook, you know, has the most sane people alive. Hmm. It, People are, have no idea what the hell they're talking about. And I, it's just, if, if Notre Dame would jump out to a 21 point lead in the first quarter and add like another, you know, another score in the second, couple more score, you know, if you're not, if they're not like front loading up on these games against like got a middle, mediocre middle teams, fans lose their mind, right? Like you want to, they expect them to jump up early. Like I say, a spread's eight, like kind of like Louisville, right? The spread was eighteen points. Notre Dame wins by eighteen points. Yeah, everyone thought that they, they absolutely fell flat on their face in that game, right? They still won right. by eighteen points. Yeah, you know, it's it makes Louisville it. turned out all right too. Yeah, because Louisville was coming off a four and eight season. We thought they were trash, and guess what? They weren't trash. No, they weren't trash. But but even but even if they were. I, I think an 18 point spread on the road first game first game of the season is a pretty decent sized spread, right? And they they got it. Even if they would even if it would have been a 17 point win, take the gambling outside of it, that's still right around the realm of what most experts were thinking. So where's the problem? I mean, why is it a problem? Well, and why well, do we not get the problem is we're so deranged by the Charlie Weiss era that we can't we can't enjoy things. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, that Charlie Weiss era extended into the that front half of uh, Kelly's too. So. Yeah, yeah, ten and eleven. Um, well, I mean, where's the where's the love for the Iowa State win where you're favored by three, three and a half, depending on where where you were. Uh, I mean, those of us who put some money on it and wanted to get some chips, we knew to just hammer that line. And then you win by, you know, 24 points. Where's the love for that? Right? I mean, oh, there, is, goes, there is no love. <laughs> right. It's just because like, oh, you did what you were expected to do. Well, you were, you were expected, expected to win to by three and a half. 16. In yeah. fact, I thought a lot of people, uh, the, the thing I was interested in was a lot of people were saying, can't we do better with these bowl matchups? Like, why does Notre Dame have to play Iowa State? They were kind of advocating for us in a weird way. Like, can't can't we watch them play Utah? Can't we watch them play like why is everybody so locked into these positions that they can't they can't just say, wait a second, doesn't Notre Dame belong to play a better team? And of course this was all happening after the fact, but still yeah. it was still appreciated. 
Yeah, and that's another thing. You know, how much of America actually understands how the bull process <laughs> really works? Even people who do this for a living. Herb Street was Herb, saying that her name was going to the Orange Bowl, right? Sure yeah, did. He was, sold, he was sold on it. Was that even people that do this for a living, like hardcore for a living. I do a half for a living. And I, I had to ask the Orange Bowl. They had, <laughs> like, how does this work? Like, look, we're not going there. Why is everybody talking about this? They literally just told me this isn't happening at all. So, yeah, this was a weird bowl cycle for sure. And that has been mentioned before by others. Like, th this is just one of those weird years where if Notre Dame didn't get into the, yeah, into were... the year six or the playoffs, they were kind of screwed. Right. Um, it, look, and that's just, that's just the way things are right now. Would I like to see it differently? Hell yes. I think most of America would. I think ha having Virginia be in the Orange Bowl is an atrocity. Um, but, you know, I don't think Florida is really a, a, the ninth-ranked team in the country either, so take yeah. it for what it is. Um, but, look, none of that's going to change until, you know, maybe if they – I am not an advocate for an 18 playoff. I think after these last few years of seeing playoff semifinals be so ridiculously damn, you know, horrible. Lots. Yeah, why the hell would you want – there's no reason to expand it. You're, you're going to tell you what I, I I don't believe in an 18 team playoff at all. But if there's if there's going to be an 18 playoff, we need to get rid of conference championships. That's the only way an 18 playoff makes sense to me. I agree with that as well. I don't. But think, I like but conference championships, and I hate 18. And I also they're never going to make away. Josh happy. Josh, listen to me. I also believe the first round should be played in the higher seeds home stadium. Oh boy, on the college campus. Absolutely. And that, look, that's the what I do not want an 18 playoff. However, like Jude just said, I would, fuck, I'd be all in on a first round on a college campus. That'd be fantastic. But at the same time, the, the only way I would really, really go all in with it, with that kind of change is if the whole bowl system blew up. Yeah, not, you can't, not get you can't rid of the rose Don't, doing what finish. the rose is doing. Let me finish. Let me finish. Not blow, not get rid of the bulls, but the whole bull system needs to be adjusted. These conference affiliation tie-ins, all this bullshit, has to go away. It absolutely has to. It has caused the dumbest matchups, the some of the worst games. There are better games to be had. <laughs> there Sorry, are just, better, better games to be had than what you have here, and. This is not sacrilegious anymore. The Rose Bowl is not sacred anymore. They've had other teams than the Big Ten and the Pac-12 in there. It's okay. Yeah. People will go to those games. Virginia the greatest national championship I've ever seen involved uh, the Rose Bowl and the University of Texas playing against USC, right? I mean, if, listen, if there's six, if there's six freaking major bowl games, how, how in the hell we're not just taking... Hey, why are why are we paying all these people all this money in the for the college football playoff stuff if they're not doing a broader job? You have a top twenty five rankings, right? They're not just giving you five teams or four teams; they're giving you twenty five. So let's at least use damn near half of it to line up your best bowl games. I don't see how that's an issue or why that should continue to be an issue. If you're going to expand it to and so any kind of playoff expansion you have to tackle 
all this crap with all these conference tie-ins because it makes zero sense to have such ridiculous mismatches across the board, matchups that nobody wants. And, you know, I, I don't care. Maybe that means more bowl games. I don't mind. Add more bowl. It's not the amount of bowl games. Give it's me the more way bowls. it's set up. Here's what I would say um, on your larger point of people talking post uh, Notre Dame winning. Why can't Notre Dame have had a better bowl game? I do enjoy the fact that you see national pundits asking that question because that hopefully will mean Notre Dame gets a top 10 finish. And that can be the feather in the cap that sort of justifies the whole season. So we don't Things end up are like not the- going Notre Dame's way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as far as the other bowl games are concerned for that, I've, Tomorrow, t- tonight certainly didn't go that way. With uh, it's with not, Florida it's Virginia. not over. I'm no. watching. I'm watching a fat guy touchdown. That's what I was laughing about. I'm, it's I not. It's a take, fat guy touchdown. They're gonna know. take it away, but it, it was a fat guy touchdown. So, but, yeah, say, but my point is that there's there's not quite enough going on unless there's some major things going on tomorrow. Yeah, well, I mean, the Rose Bowl hasn't been played yet, which is going to drop a team below Notre Dame. Um, Michigan's got to play Alabama, which is going to drop a team for Michigan. It absolutely helped Notre Dame that Louisville won today. There's there's little things besides who's in front of us, too. And I'm not saying all of our opponents, but, you know, Louisville winning helps. If Virginia Tech beats Kentucky tomorrow, that kind of helps. Navy winning kind of helps. I mean, it keeps them in the top 25, right? But, you know, you absolutely want Texas to beat Utah. Um, uh, it's kind of a no win situation for Notre Dame between Minnesota and, and oops. <laughs> and Auburn. Yeah. Uh, Georgia Baylor, effect. Georgia Baylor. One of those teams is going to drop Wisconsin, but, Oregon. I mean, one of those you, teams can drop Michigan, you Alabama, Alabama. That's a fantastic way to root against Michigan. Uh, yeah. that, but, uh, you, you, you kind of rooting for Oregon against Wisconsin, I guess. Um, you know, you're rooting for Georgia against Baylor. I mean, to really, and not just Texas, win. Utah, Texas, Utah, Some of these you need Texas to be blowouts. Like, like Georgia playing Baylor needs to be like 45 to two, <laughs> you know, which could probably happen. And then people will look like, oh, Baylor does really suck. They mm-hmm. just played nobody other than one team that they lost to twice. Like, hmm, you know, the questions we had about them are probably legit. So there's, there's some things that could go on, but you know, Again, Notre Dame is ranked 14th in the AP as opposed to the 15th in the, the playoff rankings. So you got to move up those four slots. I mean, getting to that number 10 ranking, as stupid as it may seem to some people, I think it is absolutely huge for Notre Dame to finish in that top 10. It's enormous. I agree. Because 2017, they got dropped. They were at 11th. And that's one of those things that sort of sticks in the crawl where a four-loss Auburn is in front of Notre Dame for that 10 spot. Otherwise, you could be talking about a Notre Dame team that's finished in the top 10 three straight years. Can't say that now. You can't say that Notre Dame is finished. Yeah. You, could, you and, can't because and they put a, a four-loss Auburn who lost to you, who got housed by UCF. Um, which should give nobody any – which should give no hope to anybody because, the, yes, that did happen in 2017. And then last year, and we've I've railed on it on here a number of times, Notre Dame ended up ranked fifth. So Ohio good. State jumped them, and it was based solely off of Notre Dame's performance against Clemson in the semis. They didn't even watch the national title. Exactly. Right. They turned in a ballot before they saw, like, oh, Bama got beat worse by Clemson than, than Clemson beat Notre Dame. That would have changed some votes. I don't care what anyone says. That would have, if they would have that waited until after that game, Notre Dame would have been ranked fourth in the country. 
which again, fourth, fifth for some people, is it a big deal? I believe it is um, because that is an absolute disrespect for you to take a playoff team and drop them below. That's why when, when everyone's talking all this shit, like Notre Dame, de- Notre Dame fans, mind you, Notre Dame deserves to just stay there at 15 for that loss in Michigan. You know what? No, fuck you. Yeah. Ohio State ended up jumping Notre Dame last year, and they got their asses handed to them on a clear night in West Lafayette against fucking Purdue. All right? So <laughs> You're burying the lead here, Josh. The fact that Oklahoma, Oklahoma, who got housed by Alabama, who got housed by Clemson, and had two losses finished ahead of Notre Dame because Oklahoma was in the four spot. It was somehow, Ohio State at the three somehow spot. Oklahoma has become absolutely immune to everything. Right? I just don't get it. What is this? Because what they because they they score points against nobodies and they win a they win a couple of Heisman's. I, I I don't understand it either. But they somehow, got housed in 2017 and they stayed in the top four. They got they got housed in 2016 and then they or no 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 they they mean, managed to climb the Big up. 12. Oh, I mean geez. they're winning this that power conference. They left Washington, who scored three points and in, in, had two losses in the top four in 2016. It is, yeah, it's just. Again, yes, the level of disrespect for everybody else across the country that thinks that Notre Dame gets a, an unfair leg up from the media, the, the voters, and the pollsters and all that. Look, that is absolute bullshit. <laughs> that is not the case, and it hasn't been the case for a very long time, and Look, if you want to talk, talk about past bowl the six four and one, yeah, uh, team Pat, well, Pat, like that is not the voters that put them. There. That is a bowl who wants to make money. That that's that. That doesn't have anything to do with the media. There's not some love fest that the media has with Notre Dame, other than clicks and eyeballs. And the, but they're not ranking them for that reason. In fact, Notre Dame gets a it's a detriment to them. It's not like a Michigan thing where they're just gonna say, oh. Yeah, we'll rank you in the top ten no matter what. I mean, which have I mean, which absolutely fucking sure does. Michigan got housed in their last two games of last year. They ended up ranked what was it number seven? Yeah, preseason. Yeah, so Athlon had them in the top four. Yeah, of course. It's what Athlon, was the spread man. of this Florida uh, Virginia game? Does anybody know? Fourteen, I think. Uh, oh, okay, that's what I had the, this. This last touchdown actually was pretty relevant, then, huh? It's super relevant. Yeah. yeah. It sure is. Yeah, there's some uh, hail gamblers. <laughs> yeah, was that? So it's 15 now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is pretty, pretty uh, relevant. Um, yeah, I mean, a top 10 ranking, regardless, as I think that Notre Dame's going to come into next season as a top 10 team, unequivocally, maybe even pushing top four, depending on how the narrative goes and if Cole Komet comes back. And it sort of pushes up that returning starters number. Um, Jude, we'll start how, seeing the early the the early top twenty fives come out in about after, two weeks, right? Yeah, after the championship, it's almost like a week, a few days, maybe now. But no, they'll usually put it like out. A week they'll put it out two hours after the championship's over. Or, 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 a half, or a half. Two men, will definitely have one. Oh, Jude, Ford. do you know how many Notre Dame? I mean, you have the you have everything. You have how you many have Notre Dame quarterbacks had. have had the experience returning that Ian Book has had in the history of Notre Dame football, or at least let's say in the last twenty years? Has there been anybody with the sort of experience as far as eligibility remaining and starts? Has has there been anything like this? Is it yeah, is it Brady I mean, Quinn or bust? Brady, Brady Quinn, uh, Jimmy Clausen, and well, Jimmy Tommy Reese. 
Yeah, Jimmy. Well, Jimmy Clausen was a, a junior. He didn't exhaust his eligibility, right? But he, right. I, he, he had. had he he's played for more seasons than uh, than Book has played so far. That's true. No, Clausen only Clausen played three years. Book's got in three years of, in terms of starting. In terms yes. of the number of games he started, the number of snaps he's taken, he's way he's still way ahead of um, Book. Does Book pass him this? Uh, I, by how many, Jude? I know. I know you keep real. He's, Strict track. Uh, I'd have to look it up. It, 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 okay, he, no, okay. he will pass. He will, book will pass him this year. Absolutely. So okay. or this in 2020. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely believe Notre Dame will be. I, I'm certain Notre Dame will be a top 10 preseason team. But when the AP comes out, the coaches come out, they'll probably be like ranked seven or eight. You think I, it's I just, that low? I, yeah, I think. I mean, I think seven or eight probably. Probably they're going to have him at. Now, what else is around them? I don't to yell about. I don't know yet, <laughs> but I, I think they'll probably have them like pegged right around seven or eight, and then we'll hit. We'll get the uh, thing where Notre Dame hasn't finished, fit, or started or finished the season inside a top ten, blah blah, or whatever that shit. Right, Dude, right, what, right. what what was the dumb uh, stat? We're always some bullshit hasn't finished and started within the top 10 in X number of years or whatever, and it's like if you just expand that to eleven, it would have been like the answer would have been like one. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but so, again, this is, this is why this is why Josh is absolutely right. That ten is a number that everybody uses, and when you say sneaky shit like eleven or twelve, then people are just like, "Ah, you're moving the goalposts," you know. Yeah. So I get you it. have to I be totally... able to just yell it out without without an I, asterisk or without a be like, well, actually, thirteen top twelve finishes. Like nobody cares, you know what I mean? How many top ten finishes? Yeah. And if you don't believe that a narrative is important, you just have not been paying t- attention to college football for the last 50 years. <laughs> that's all it is. Narrative is this whole sport. All, that's why we love it. That's why this sport is so fucking nuts. Because it has so much to do with narratives and perception and all that nonsense. It has, it's like 50% of it. It's like 50% on field, 50% perception. Like, look, teams will get rankings bumps, preseason ranking bumps off of their recruiting class coming in as freshmen. Yeah. Without seeing anything, you're just you're automatically like those guys are going to help them be instead of a top twenty five team, they're going to be a top ten team. Well, it's the it same makes zero why, sense, right? But it's, it's perceptive. It's the same reason why somebody's going to put out an NFL draft uh, twenty twenty one list, and Tommy <laughs> Craver is going to be the first round. It's Walter Camp football is going to put out their 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 top. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tommy Kramer still made a he still made a list, didn't I? Just see that that Tommy Kramer didn't play the entire like half the month of November and still made a a second team All American list. Right. I saw. What you'd say like it, it's it's still something someone could say like oh this team has this many guys that are projected to go in the first round next year and it's we haven't even got to like the year before his draft. I mean it, it's little things like that, but it all adds up. So I mean, and it's where you want to be, right? Because a little bit of perception is all the difference that's needed inside that college football playoff committee inside, you know, all the things that actually move the sport. Like you don't know what the hell they're talking about in there. And it's, we're not talking about football coaches in there. They're a bunch of administrators. Uh, So you never know what set of data really is put in front of them. And they talk so far out their ass and, and through, you know, one side of the mouth or the other, none of it all makes sense. And obviously, watching Notre Dame sit there at 15 for five fucking weeks. Actually, they dropped down to 16 after a win. You know, blowout win. Yeah, for all those weeks, 
you start to wonder what the hell is going on in there. So, and they and every week it's a different set of um, guidelines, right? Like, so all this shit adds up. It all adds up. Why does Bamba get the benefit of the doubt? Because of multiple years in a row of something, right? So if Notre Dame can at least say, you know, if you're looking at Notre Dame as a top 10 team the last three years, or say they're top five team, top five team the last three years without changing a whole lot of results, you know, that's, that's a big thing when it comes to that. So I, it sounds like, it sounds like I'm in front and maybe I am. Look, I'm Italian. My hands are going crazy right now. Talking <laughs> up this podcast. They're all over the fucking place. And no, I don't have a map on my wall with red, <laughs> red yarn and pins. But that's kind of what this all is, right? College football is nothing but Charlie in front of that map. Pepe Silva. <laughs> Figuring it all out. That's what that's Pepe what Silva. I, I hope Notre Dame finishes number 11 this year. I'm going to go put it out there. I hope they finish number 11 this year so that us nerds are going to be able to say, hey, Notre Dame's finished in the top 11 for three straight years. And, and we're going to we're going to be able to say that. And we're not gonna we're not gonna have to worry about this top ten nonsense. I don't think you want to be around me on a podcast if we finish at eleven. Oh, we're gonna I, finish at eleven. I'm almost I'm almost sure. I'm doing the math right now, and Notre Dame is finishing eleven. It's almost assured, right? Because I, I I agree. I'm just saying that it's I'm gonna I'm it's gonna be brutal for me. Which, which <laughs> lost team is gonna finish ahead of Notre Dame? Which um, three lost team? Three lost team, because you know it's going to happen. Auburn. Yeah, Auburn. it's Auburn. It's because it's always Auburn. It's always Auburn. It's always Auburn. It's it, they're still making up for the fact that they were ineligible in '93. Right? They're still making up for the 2004. Was it 2004? Yeah. <laughs> Look, sorry. I mean, don't get caught, or don't piss off Alabama so bad that they're calling the NCAA on. <laughs> so. I think that's about it for tonight. I think we got we got that's quite good. a bit out of uh, good old fashioned. Look, we're we're mo- definitely moving on from from the season, um, which means that we will. I think I think soon, Jude. I think we'll do a a retrospective look back upon the season. Right? Like, <laughs> like, You're gonna like, pull out clips of my hottest, stupidest takes and run them back for me. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we'll cook together. I mean, we hell, we could do a, a couple of podcasts really that. Kind of looking back on the season, like, look, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of good times. Uh, There's definitely some heartbreaking shit uh, that went on during the season. So we'll definitely go back. I think we'll definitely go back and, and take a look at all of it. Okay. In mul- multiple I, ways. We'll try to get Brendan involved or Brad if he wants to come back. I just we can't wait Brad. for for Jude's uh, podcast ranking podcasts. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> I've been waiting for that since Jude came on board in uh, January of 2017. I was going to say, I've, I, I've been writing it on and off for so two years. Josh, you know, I, I got this uh, I got this ranking of podcasts, of Notre Dame yeah. podcasts. The and, thing is, you, you know, keep adding podcasts, and, and, and it's so funny because if you look at the article, it's actually kind of shameful. I started writing about podcasts that I then had to stop writing about because they stopped being podcasts, you know? So. <laughs> I'm sure like four R.I.P. Months. Still Independent, R.I.P. The Grotto, R.I.P. Uh, Golick and Newman. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Go way back. Definitely. And so, and look, we're at the end of the year. 
right? Like in just a couple, in just another day or whatever, it's going to be 2020, whole new decade. Cool. And uh, yeah, so we're definitely moving forward, but you can't move forward without knowing what happened behind you. And I look, I just want to take a quick second. In the last podcast, I started to thank some people and I totally left some names out. So I'm going to make up for that real quick. So while, while I have everyone's attention, don't fast forward this, even though there's a nice fast forward button if you need to. Uh, I want to give a very huge thanks uh, to Pat Sullivan and to Jude Seymour, uh, two of my editors, that w- without them, this site would not be anywhere near as fun um, because they're a lot smarter and better writers than I am. Uh, I wrote about breastfeeding tonight. I'm, I'm super fun. I, I, I was. Yes. Yeah. You know, you're super fun. But you, you bring a lot more, you bring more to the table than what, you bring different things to the table. Everyone brings something to the table, right? But without you and Pat, let, let me just compliment you, goddammit, without cutting me off. Without you and Pat, the site wouldn't be near, wouldn't be near as cool. Um, we have a ton of, ton of other staff writers. I'm going to list them all off here. Everyone here has helped this year uh, in one way or in one shape or another. Um, right here on this podcast right now, Brendan McAlinden coming on board. What was that mid-season, right around Michigan game? Uh, USC game. USC game, that's right. It's a little bad voodoo going into Michigan, but uh, definitely has upped the fun factor uh, with all the all the photoshops and all the all the good stuff, and definitely has helped this podcast out. Um, so it's it's less of me and Jude like punching each other through the microphone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a fun go between between with all that. Uh, we also have you know Billy Gorman, uh, Lino Garcia. And Lauren Dangle, uh, or Dangel, I, I don't, I'm sorry, Lauren, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Um, they do a great job uh, covering hockey for us, and that's all coming coming back again this month, so you'll see more uh, from them. Lauren's been doing some more features and stuff, too. Billy helps out in a lot of different ways. In fact, if there's fun architecture stuff going on on, uh, on Notre Dame's campus, Billy's my go-to guy. He's an architect in, uh, in New York City, Notre Dame grad. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, that's fun having him. Lisa Kelly. Lisa's been a long time on the Notre Dame blogosphere. She does a great job with the Throwback Thursdays, does all the good. She's got a lot of good stories. She's got a lot of contacts. She's got more in her Rolodex than I would ever imagine to have. Um, Bobby Norell came back to us. Bobby's done a little hoops action. He's hanging out. He's going to do something here and there. Um, and we've had other writers, you know, Matt Green's doing women's basketball, does stuff in the football season. Philip Goff, you want some hot takes? Philip's got them. Uh, He's also really hot because he gets sick for for bowl games. Love you, Phil. Um, Michael Whitlow's helped out. Joe Lundergan. Uh, we got a new addition in Matt Boomer. Probably the best last name of the bunch, uh, especially for this day and age. want to thank all of you guys for all of your help. Everyone here has contributed and has made uh, One Foot Down uh, a special place for me and hopefully for all of you. I uh, also want to give a special shout out to, to Mike Miller. He was my photographer last year. And he was going to be again this year, uh, but Notre Dame snooped in. And uh, look, Mike's got one of his dream jobs. He's a full-time photographer for Notre Dame. He does a hell of a job. It was a big loss um, that I just, I couldn't make up. I could have gone out and got another person to, to take pictures, but they would have been anywhere near as good uh, as what Mike did. So um, I just want to give him a special thanks because I still use his photos uh, for stories. Hell, I just used one today. So or use a couple of them today. Uh, so I just want to thank all of them. Thank all of you. I want to thank my bosses, um, Carolyn Darney and, um, and Matt Brown. Look, 
SB Nation, I know it's been in the news or in the Twitter feed. There's some weird stuff going on. Look, it is a, it's a tight-knit group of, of people, especially on the college side. Uh, even if we get into battle royales on Twitter, like the Clemson site, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of extra help going on there, which helps provide for better stories. And I just want to make sure I took just a couple minutes on this ridiculous platform uh, to thank everybody. So with that, that's my closing shot. A very long one. So Jude, if you want to trump me up, go ahead. I, I got nothing. I, I, I'm just, I, I did it to everything. Uh, I guess what I would say is I joined this uh, site uh, two years ago, uh, February. Uh, so it'll be three years come this February. And easily the best story that's been written on the site. And I'm proud of a lot of the work that I've done, but easily the best story was uh, uh, Pat recounting the night he tried to drink uh, the, the backer out of Long Islands with his friends. Uh, that is some, the Remember the Six shirts on. That was a great story. <laughs> that, is, that is just, uh, I mean, I, w- I just wish Pat had more time to write more, sh- more stuff like that. I just, I really, I, look, we've done some great, we've done some great stuff. I'm incredibly proud of uh, tracking down the, um, the old uh, discarded Northwestern rivalry trophy. I, I think that was great. Uh, we've written some, we've written some great stuff. I've, I've talked to some great people, so I'm incredibly happy. And, and uh, I look forward to uh, annoying the hell out of OSU fans on Twitter for years to come. So that's my spiel. Yeah. And just a couple more games I want to drop. I, I did. You brought up Brad, but I did not. Uh, Brad is finishing up school. He's kind of done, done. So get him back on track. Everything's going to be good to go there. Um, really looking forward to what he can bring. Uh, I do want to thank guys like, like, or, or excuse me, people like, uh, you know, Carter Carls and Tyler James, guys, people that come on the podcast, um, you know, as guests and, and they answer our funny questions and, uh, and kind of have a good time with us and, and joke around. I want to thank Jessica Smetana for, for what she's done for the, on the past from the site. Uh, we had her on, um, early in her career and she did some really fun stuff. Come on the podcast, how she's doing all sorts of cool stuff. Um, just look, you know, you, if you've done something for this site and I am very grateful, I have always tried to show my gratitude as much as I can, um, because this is a huge group effort and I know I'm going to be missing some names, but this podcast will last another half hour if I keep listening off some stuff. So Brennan, uh, we'll leave it to the final words of you there, buddy. Uh, well, the final words are that uh, Virginia covered, I made some money, <laughs> and everything's fantastic in the world. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. And uh, yeah, have a special one. Have a special one. Take your wife out. <laughs> Do something good. All right, we're going to stop here. Happy New Year. Go Irish.